0: Good morning, all. Good afternoon to uh, our European friends. Jeff, please meet yourself. Um, another day in paradise. Um, market's putting in a pretty good uh, day today so far. Uh, we've got a great room. Uh, no stranger um, to this room. Longtime friend, very astute observer of markets. Jeff Garbaza, Quantitative Partners. Um you know markets everyone is hanging on to every zig and zag the fact that markets haven't made a new low for a month people are right back to oh so you're saying there's a chance and as um i always say in this room i don't try to figure out the daily and the weekly zigs and zags i leave it to others jeff has a much sharper uh, view of things and, and is more tuned to the more short-term dimensions the dynamics of the market so I'm always looking to him for some direction, uh, as is our good mutual friend Tom Thornton. And so I'm really curious to hear what Jeff has to say this morning. Uh, just a few comments about recent action, or just fundamental comments. I guess I'm not going to talk so much about price action, but you know the retail sales number last week. Um, you know, just for inflation you know, down. Uh, people are getting all amped up because they think things look all right, but it's inflation that's uh, hy- hyping the numbers and you know, consumers rolling over um there's some bad PC shipment numbers out as well um, the bank numbers at the end of last week were a disaster and someone might say well you know but the stocks didn't go down well at least it didn't go down for a couple of days we'll see um you know my focus continues to be in trying to get the intermediate to longer term direction right um, with liquidity continuing to tighten and earnings rolling over um, and, but keeping in mind that we're going to get, a, you know, we will get, a, it, it, it's a feature, not a bug, of bear markets so that you get counter trend rallies. And so, as we've discussed many times in this room, John Roque had that great study that he did. Uh, you go back to the 2000-2002 bear market, where despite NASDAQ falling 80%, the market was down 47% of the days. There were 15 rallies over, counter turn rallies over 10%, 10 counter turn rallies over 15%. I'm not smart enough uh, to be able to catch all those, I, I, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And, uh, my bigger picture always is, you know, is, is I think Dennis Cartman used to say, um, in a bear market, you only can be, uh, short or flat, short or flat in the bull market, long or flat, long or flat. So, you know, if you're looking for someone to call the counter trend moves, you know, the man in the house today, uh, Mr. Garbaz or Mr. Thornton, they're really good at that. I'm not the guy who's going to make those calls. I, I know my place, uh, in, in life. So with no further ado, um, I want to turn it over to, uh, the floor over to Jeff. Um, if you want to know where the song selection came from for today's room, it was Jeff's idea. So Jeff, over to you.
1: Hey, George, how are you? I love it. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, that's kind of the year that we've, uh, we've been in. Um, although there is some potential for this month, um, with nine days left to get, um, a subtle, a subtle change or two, um, taking place. I, I think George, you had some really good stats, and so do I, on kind of where we are, on a uh, on a year-to-date basis now. And I'd love to start there, and then talk about the month-to-month action, and then you know specifically what we're seeing in the work. So, here comes what I think are some pretty amazing statistics. One thing I really like to do is track on a monthly basis how many stocks are up and how many stocks are down. And our universe is basically every stock that trades that's been trading for at least six months. And clearly, we've had a dearth of IPOs this year. So we're not messing that much stuff that's traded for less than six months. Year-to-date, 16.12% of stocks are up through the end of June, beginning of July. actually you do every Friday, so it was July the 1st. Um, at the end of May, it was twenty-one point eight three percent So we lost another, uh, 6%. Um, and it's been basically, it ended last year at 55% of stocks up for the year. And the highest we got to was 34 at the end of the first quarter at the end of March. So you can see, we've almost had like a 50% drop since the end of March from 34 down to 16, actually a little bit more than that. The next numbers are really interesting numbers. Just remember this number 10x. So, what is 10x? One thing I love to do is look at the attribution of performance. So, how many stocks are up more than 50 percent, and how many stocks are down more than 50 percent? So, this is where 10x comes from. The number of stocks that are up more than 50 percent is 101 stocks, the number of stocks that are down more than 50 percent is 1117. So, uh, take 101 times it by 10, and you've got You know, pretty close to your 1117 number. Then the next one I like to always look at is how many stocks are up more than 25% or down more than 25%? And that number up more than 25 is 251 and down more than 25 is 2,649. So again, 10x. What would be incredible is if I looked at the stocks that were up more than 10% or down more than 10% to get a 10x, I didn't get it. I got a 7x. So, 511 stocks are up more than 10% and 3761 are down more than 10%. And year to date, the number of stocks that are up is um, 878. What was amazing was two weeks uh, uh, let's see two weeks ago when we had the good week, we only had 10 more stocks go up for the year. Like we went from 877 to 887 two weeks ago. And then last week was, you know, a down week again. That kind of tells us where we are. And and what I find amazing is that we haven't had the capitulation moment yet. I, I find it like incredible that people keep saying this, no capitulation moment. And if we look at the first half of the year, this went down as the third worst first half of the year in the history of the stock market. So I don't get the idea that there's no capitulation kind of going on. And so the first glimmer of hope that exists is the statistics of looking at the other five periods where we lost as, you know, as as much or more than this period. What happened the second half of the year? In all cases, it ended up being a positive um for the second half of the year. Doesn't mean it has to this time, but you know, in those other instances it did. And it's hard for the market to go down for just, you know, more than six months in a row at a really precipitous uh, point without getting some type of uh, rally. Having said that, things have been really awful since April. Um, And that's part of what I'm going to get to about the more things change, the more they stay the same. The first kind of example of that. In the last 15 weeks, the S&P has been up how many weeks? George, you want to take a quick guess at that?
0: Yeah, just cause you and I play tag every few weeks in this. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say it's 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 either two or three out of fifteen, something like that. It's three. Three, it's okay, right. Yep. Yep. And okay. what's
1: amazing what's amazing is coming in today, five of the last six days have been uh, have been down. <laughs> I mean, last week we were down every day until Friday, and then yesterday was a down day. And so it's kind of like like nothing has really changed. Although I will say this about um the month of july so far if i go back and look at the other months of the year the month that it's kind of reminding me of right now is february february remember january was a was a pretty bad month um it was let's see exactly how much we did to the to the downside there so we finished the low, well, let's just do the low first. The low came on the uh, 27th of January. We got down 9.24. And then we finished the month down 5.31. And February was kind of an okay month. We kind of hung in there until we didn't, which was the 16th of the month. We were down 74 basis points. And then from there, we went down uh, very quickly from the 16th to 23rd. We lost another 5.52%. So with nine days left, this is is reminding me very much of February. And then in March, we obviously had the one good rally of the year. The way I look at it right now, we've had three rallies this year. So just looking back in, in history so that we can then talk about what's going on right now. We had a nice uh, couple week rally in the middle of March. We went up about 11 percent. And then we had a bit of a rally the weekend to um, Memorial Day weekend. It was really driven by by three days, um, and most of it came on that Friday into Memorial Day weekend, and then we had a little bit of it in um, the middle part of June, and then again in the beginning part of July. But we've really gone nowhere um, since, let's call it the. Let's see this date. Since the twenty-second of June. We've been in a range roughly of three seventy on SPY to 390 three ninety or thirty seven hundred
0: to thirty nine hundred. So 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 Jeff, what you're basically saying is we're rapidly going nowhere the last few weeks. Yeah. Phil Phil had
1: this awesome um analogy. He used to talk about the drunken crow.
0: <laughs> wait, the so, wait, the drunken crow, I gotta hear this one.
1: The drunk the drunken crow. Yeah. I mean look, I'm in I'm in Wisconsin, so we, we know that uh Uh, everything here in Wisconsin drinks so the the crow would would lick her up and then he'd go flying and you know he'd he'd fly lots of miles but end up you know kind of back where he started so we're getting lots of intraday moves uh, but we're really ending up nowhere it was was funny I did my last video back on the 23rd of June and then I did one last week and uh, you know people were saying are you going to do one are you going to do one And what's interesting is we were within a point of the 23rd. We were at 378 on the S&P or SPY. And last week we were at 378 as well. So it's it's just
0: really. Jeff, let me jump in there. Let me jump in there. So you're talking, you're you're triggering me. What you're referring to, and I see this in so many stocks now, um, where, you know, the thing collapses and it's quote unquote oversold, whatever that means, and it quote unquote should bounce. And inability of these things to bounce very much so far, maybe they will bounce. To me, is very revealing. Um, it's sort of like I'll use another analogy. This was a, it, it's like the drunk who falls down a, a, a set of stairs. You know, he he stops falling down. He comes to rest at on, on one on 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 one stair, but. He tries to get up, he can't really go get back up very much. And like the longer he's unable to show any signs of life and getting back up, the more you can be convinced that the direction's still flat down. And so I look and again, Mark, you know, this we may look back on this and say, Oh, remember the day George was giving Jeff a hard time? I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm just wondering out loud. I just kind of wonder when you see something that can't really, it has no mojo, just has no get up and go. And by all accounts, because it's "quote unquote" oversold, it doesn't rally meaningfully. How does that? What, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, we have we have lots of stocks in that situation. I'll I'll, I'll take an example of a stock that we've had on our um, short list in the past, and uh, I don't have it on right now because I'm just kind of watching it. But it, it did exactly what you said. Uh, restoration Hardware. We got short it. Um, in June, it made some really nice money, and it, it kind of went from a let's, – let's look at the peak in June. We were at a high of 314, and then we went down to 237. So percentage-wise
0: yeah, 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 – Yeah, and I'm going to give you air cover. Ignore that that spike low. Put the put your finger over that spike low. I think it was a closing low of 215 or something like that. It doesn't count, all right? But in the bigger scheme – there was like a few days where it got down to 215. But in the bigger scheme of things, like the real low is kind of in this yeah. 240, 250 area. This thing, then maybe it'll break out from here. But so far, keep going. This is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Keep going. Yeah, so this is this stock um,
1: technically is ranked. So we rank uh, stocks technically. And here's what we do. It's a pretty simple idea. We look at how stocks are trading over the last 100 trading days against the S&P. And um, then we rank them from 10% to 100% in 10% increments. And what Phil did years ago, I mean, this is back in... 1992, we, he uh, used a technique called cojohn layer mapping, which is like barcoding. And he fed the computer all these uh, price charts. And then we basically said, OK, what are the 10 most prevalent price charts? And let's just rank them from 10% to 100%. So as I mentioned earlier, we've got 5,400 stocks in our universe. What we don't do is throw 540 stocks into each of the 10 baskets. So right now, a lot of stocks are underperforming, which means uh, 10 to 10 to 50, um, we probably have 4,000 stocks on that side of the uh, of the ledger. And then we've got 1,000 that are ranked 60 to 100 that are kind of you know outperforming right now. And so this thing, it, yeah, it's rallying from 237 up to 264, but um, the rank is still at 20%. And people will say, well, there's going to be a short squeeze coming to this thing without even looking at it. And the point is, our short intensity, which looks at the range of short ratio, is at 12%. And the uh, short ratio is at three point two five. Um, and then the absolute number of shares is on the floor. We're down to 2 million,
0: 170,000 in shares that are, that are short. So, 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 so Jeff, in your words, is this type four? This is a type four, correct. Can you just explain to the room what, how your system between the ones, twos and threes and fours, how you divide the yeah, one? Yeah, yeah.
1: So a one and two are stocks that are strong technically. And the one also has lots of shorts in it. So let's, let's do my favorite long idea right now is Visa. Uh, the shorts have been coming into it, and technically it's at an 80%. The short intensity is at 90%, and it's 3.88 days to, uh, to cover on the name. So that's a great example. Of a of a short squeeze, and historically, what's so interesting about this is so not only can we tell you it's a, a short squeeze, uh, we can tell you how the shorts have done. And in the case of this stock, the shorts have never made money. Like five times they've tried to short this thing since it's been public, and the average loss is 26 percent, and the average number of days that they're short is 288 days. So they're they're stubborn shorts, and so far they're losing a couple percent, but you know they're still like 20 percent upside on this thing, which would take it ultimately to, uh, to 250. So that's a, that's a, that's a one type one, a short squeeze, a type two is doing well, but no one is short. It's amazing. The number of times I hear people say like, oh, this, this is going to be a great short squeeze, but I look at it in our work. It's, it's a type two. It's, it just doesn't, it just doesn't have the shorts in it for one of two reasons where the absolute number of shares are not even close to the high or the volume is so much, um, that it takes the short ratio down, and it's easy for shorts to get out. This this is going to become a problem at some point from here until um, we end this bear market. Is the shorts are not going to be able to get out because the next type of stock is becoming more prevalent in our work, and that's a type three. It's weak technically, and lots of people are short. Um, George, you know, this from last week, I'm going to kind of hit on this one as a good example of it is, uh, is TD, the bank, uh, north of us. Um, it now has a short ratio of 20.29 days to cover and the short intensity is hundred percent. So let's just think about this idea of what a, a short ratio is. It takes all the shares that are shorted and, and average volume. We do average volume over the last 12 months. So we smooth it out. Uh, much differently than the New York Stock Exchange does. They do it over the last 20 trading days, which makes it look really whippy. Uh, this this falls it really, really nicely. And so that says it would take the shorts 20 days to cover. Well, last time I checked, 20 days would be a month. And if the shorts were actually competing against longs that want to own this thing, I, I'd say at a minimum you could use a multiplier of two. So that means it would take the shorts 40 days to cover their positions based on average volume, unless they just want to blow it out. And in case they decide to do that, you know, let's say they, they want to blow out 20 days worth of volume in a single day. The stock will be back at eighty five dollars in the blink of an eye. Um, and so what the, the type four. Is weak technically and no one is short. And that has been the demise of people that have been long stocks that have ridden names down um, to lower levels, Um And a lot of times, the reason that people aren't short stuff is they think that it'll recover. Um, Probably my my classic example for this year is Netflix. Um, It started the year at 600, and it's now at 197. So you'd think it'd be a great uh, stock for the shorts. The shorts did write it down for part of the way. They wrote it down to uh, 350. But since then, they've been gone. So it's been a long squeeze from three fifty
0: all the way down to like yeah, the one seventy. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Jeff, let me let me interrupt you there. So Netflix, this is this is even this is a real beauty. I love this chart. So some of the stocks we're talking about that you know crashed and they haven't they haven't really done anything for a month or so. Think about Netflix, which is so awesome. It crashed in late April. All right. So here we are, one, two, three months on, hasn't been able to do anything. But I want to offer up Netflix. As uh, indicative of bigger trends, so if you look at the Goldman Sachs hedge fund hotel index, I had it in my in my feed. I'll put it up in the nest uh, a little bit later. That's all you know. The stocks which are still most widely owned by the by by the hedge funds. Those things, in absolute and more importantly relative terms, have been a complete freaking disaster. It's exactly what you're saying. So, I mean, I don't know if you look at that index per se, but you know what I'm talking about. It's all the over yep. names, and and so. You know, the Chase Coleman's of the world, yes, I do name names, unlike like polite people in other rooms, I do name names. All the lazy longs. So let's, let's just, all right, you don't have to name names. But when you when you look at that Goldman Sachs hedge fund hotel index, and it's all the, the Facebook, the Netflix, the Microsoft, don't, let's not get caught up in individual stock names. You know what I'm talking about, right? So yep. everyone thinks they're good stories, and they're cheap, and blah, blah, blah. Is that not a perfect example of what you're talking about?
1: Absolutely absolutely um, good example right now on my list for this week every 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 week we do a list of our favorite longs and our favorite shorts and the one thing I'll say about the shorts right now is that uh, we do a model short portfolio it had four shorts last week it's got it's got none this week um, because the risk of, of a move is, is definitely there and what I've tried to do with the long squeezes for this week is lower beta high market cap Here's a great example of a stock that's not participating today. Look at LMT, George. Um, short intensity is 6%. The short ratio is 1.55 days. And the tech rank is at 30%. So it's, it's a long squeeze in our work. And guess what? It just broke the, the 200-day moving average um, for the first time. in um, since it, it, it was below it eh, kind of last year in the fall. When it, it missed on a quarter, and then it kind of got back above in January, and now it's broken again. So this stock is just not participating, and everyone owns this name, and so it bounced off at of 375. It'll be interesting to see if 375, you know, holds on it. Um, and what happens is this: this tends to be like there's a great way to do pairs on this type of stuff because, as an example, on the opposite side. It's General Dynamics now. General Dynamics now has short intensity of 100% and a short ratio of 3.24, and it's got the same tech rank at 30%. So an interesting way to to pair this stuff up is if it goes from being a three, the only place where it to go if the shorts still stay there is it to being a one. So if and when you get improvement in GD, that would be an interesting pair trade to say, hey, I'm going to go along long, GD and I'm going to still stay short uh, LMT.
0: So that's kind right. of a, a quick right. summary, so, right? So, so, so Jeff, let's let's zoom out a little bit here, and we'll get to some questions. So let's let's put put yourself and if you can to in the position of the average uh, listener in the room, someone who's trying to you know just figure out what the heck's going on here, and yeah. You know, the market's not working out the way the nice man from Fidelity said it was going to work out, and the sixty forty portfolio is not working. And it, I mean, I was blown away by the numbers you threw out at the at the outset. I kind of got lost in the numbers, but the one takeaway was, I was like, "Oh my god, it's like almost impossible not to have lost money." Those statistics you threw out there are mind boggling. So for the average yeah, well, person, Well, George,
1: remember remember this? We were talking about this a little bit last week. So uh, Tom Thornton, um, his, uh, his 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 um, message page on uh, on Bloomberg. A guy had said that his daughter, uh, he was complaining about the market and how tough it is. And she just said, Daddy, why don't you just buy stocks that go up? (laughs) 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 And and guess what? Only 16% of of stocks are going up. I know. I know. You got no shot.
0: Those are not not very good odds for people. Okay. Okay. So, so Jeff, I'm going to answer. I'll ask you, you can answer any of these questions you want to. Like I could ask you what do you think of the market, what do you think of sectors? Yep. So but 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 rather than that, because the market's a collection of stocks, what are your strongest convictions now? It may be the market's going up, the market's going down, maybe the energy's gonna crash more, maybe tech's gonna rebound. I don't know. But like there's something, you know, as the Ogi Berry likes to say, you know, predictions are difficult, especially about the future. So like to the extent you have strong convictions, let's recognize this market is made. It's humble to all of us, right? Yep. What kind of is noteworthy in your view?
1: Yeah, so so we've been talking about short interest. And the way the way that we at Erlanger look at the world is the following. Uh, we have setup indicators. Short interest is a setup indicator. We just talked about the idea of, of short squeezes and long squeezes. A subset of that, which is also a, a nice sentiment measure, is options. So we look at options activity. And what was interesting, uh back at the bottom last month, we had really excess um put activity. Basically we have 24 sectors and all 24 of them had an, an Erling or option rank that was above 70, which means the put activity is high. And that, that um options rank is a really cool thing because we look over the last two weeks at the options activity and it's done on a median basis. So if we have one day of crazy volume that that number gets tossed and we don't look at it so so it's got to be really consistent put activity um occurring and so now we're down to only four sectors that have the average option rank so the the quick easy bounce off of the low that that trade has come and gone for like the like the fifth time this year um and the three that obviously were it where it kind of held the, the one area um, that's interesting, that's horrible in our work right now is energy. Um, it, it, it broke down pretty nicely. But the one thing that's there is the put activity is very high. I can't find a stock basically in the energy space that doesn't have excess put activity. So people, and, and so here's, here's what our option rank does. It looks at four things, open interest, premiums, money flow, and the total number of uh, contracts that are trading. So, um, if I look at, as an example, let's just look at the big dog, let's look at Exxon. Exxon is now in a put squeeze because uh, its Erlanger option rank is at 92%, and it has moved above its daily DMA channel. Now, the question is, what, what in the heck is a DMA channel? The DMA channel is what we use to determine the bias, okay? Bias, it's a really simple, and it's a really, really, really important concept. That means, do I want to be long it or do I want to be short it? And then a subset of bias or what we call triggers. That means, do I want to enter the trade right now or do I want to exit the trade? And we built a bunch of our own trigger indicators. It would be similar to what what Tom Thornton looks at with DeMarc type of, type of work. And so um, the put squeeze is alive and well in energy. So guess what? That's why for this week, um, I don't have any short ideas, even though it's our 22nd out of 24th ranked sector, um, there are no shorts um, in our stuff for this current week on the energy side. So that that is one interesting thing. And so, George, the question about sectors, um, what we do to get a sector rank is really interesting. We, we take the average tech rank, so we look at all the stocks in a sector, and then the average short rank, combine them together, slightly greater weighting on the tech side. Come up with a number and then rank everything from one to, to 24. So, pharma has been pretty consistent for a few weeks now. And um, a subset of that is biotech. So, I kind of like that, that space um, as well. Um, interestingly enough, healthcare equipment and services has been pretty consistent after being dead forever, like basically all of last year. So, that's another space that interests me on the, uh, on the long side. And, and also, interestingly enough, diversified financials um, is ranked number eight. So it's, it's still in the upper third of our work. And what's also come down on the opposite side of that is insurance. And having covered uh, financial guys for a long time, I know that when insurance falls apart, that's because it's no longer defensive and people are coming out of that and they're coming into diversified financials. And so, again, my favorite idea which isn't a pure diversified financial play because it gets grouped to software. But you know what? It's basically theirs is the visa idea. That's my, that's my favorite long idea. The banks aren't there too far. Too many of the banks right now are, uh, are long squeezes within the work. And we don't have the, the quite enough excess put activity to say that, okay, they're going to bounce now. Um, It's really, it's really amazing that no one is, uh, is short these just to like, a couple of examples: um, J.P. Morgan, short intensity of twenty percent, one point two eight days to cover. Uh, Morgan Stanley, thirty one percent, one point seven eight days to cover. Um, Wells Fargo, twelve percent, one point one four days to cover. Right,
0: so, I suggest, you're saying that the banks no one's short to so that sector and they're technically they're poor. So that's so that you don't like that sector. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't
1: like that. I don't like that sector. And the options haven't gotten extreme enough.
0: Okay. So you blacklisted the, you blacklisted or redlined the, the banks. That's fine. Energy. You said it was technically crap, but we had a put squeeze. So like, uh, is energy just not actionable right now for you long or short?
1: It's, it's like what you talked about, like the timing that Tom and I do like, yeah, we might get a rebound <laughs> this week. It might last, you know, one to two weeks. Um, what I said like a week ago, someone was making a comment um, about, oh, we're going to have this great monster move, blah, 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 to the upside. And uh, like I, I put this up on my Twitter page. I just basically it was like over a week ago. I said all rallies so far have been ephemeral. Yeah. Um, and, and we got that again, you know, like let's say, uh, how's this gonna evolve? You know, yesterday was not all a right. great day. Today is a decent day. The one the one thing, though, that is that like a bit of a pot, you know, we're, we're hitting on these little nuggets of things that are potentially positive. One thing I'm really interested to see is, so far in July, we've only had one day where we've lost more than 1% on the S&P. And I can't tell you how many days we had in each of the previous months, but it's a bunch, you know, somewhere between five and 10 each month, basically.
0: Jeff, a few more points I want to get to, and then we're going to go to questions. Um, Could you speak a little about seasonality in your work? I think you spend a lot of time on that. Yeah. And what... And again, you know, when something you know seasonality is a condition; it's not a rule. Doesn't something has to happen? But when something doesn't happen, which historically does happen, that's informative. So, right here, right now, what are you thinking about seasonality, Jeff?
1: Yeah. So, so uh, George is correct. We do seasonality work, and I would consider consider that to be the third um, leg of our setup indicators, the first being short interest, second being options, and third being uh, seasonality. So what we do is we go back 15 years and we look at how stocks traded over those 15 years. And then what we do is we look at the seven oldest years and the seven most recent years. And if it was, um, you know, say 12, we had 12 years of data, we would, um, you know, look at the oldest half and then the most recent half and say how how they did. Um, So the first thing we want to know is does a stock have a seasonal tendency right now so so what's interesting if we look at spy let's just go let's spy is basically the market we're in a uh, a positive cycle now um for seasonality that lasts until the 26th of july <laughs> and last time i checked guess what <laughs> is it next week the 26th yes it is so um then we struggle seasonally basically open-ended until the 17th of October. That said, there is a, a little bounce that occurs um, the very, very end of August into the middle of, of September. And uh, what's, what's kind of funny about it, it ends like basically right at my birthday. I guess that's a birthday present for me to know to only buy puts, right, George? <laughs> so, so that's where we are from a seasonal standpoint on, on the market. Um, And what we really like to do is kind of combine all of the stuff we've talked about so far, short interest options, seasonality. So if I look at the S&P 1500, um, how many stocks right now are basically short squeezes um, or close to being short squeezes, high short selling um, that would be considered to be buy ideas? And that number is roughly 20 names. So it's not very big. And if I went and looked at what was seasonally weak, um, S&P 1500, this list is probably 200 names right now. So that tells me a lot when I, when I do screening work to look at what names are seasonally strong and technically strong working and what names are seasonally weak and underperforming. That, that is a big a big tell. George, does that answer
0: your question on that? Yeah, and it by the way, when you look back, when you go through that type of methodology, and, you know, it's not every month, every year, but when you, over over time, if you were to favor the stocks that were seasonally strong and were technically well, behaving well, and short the ones that were seasonally coming to a weak period that were technically weak, is there usually pretty good alpha in that type of approach?
1: Yeah, and so... Um... The next so right now I'm kind of mixed. If you had to ask me where I was on a scale of one to ten and, and wanting to own stocks, I'd say probably like a five point five now. Um but when we get into this next seasonally week period, um how scared am I about that on a scale of one to ten? I'm a
0: fifteen. And okay. and why am uh, 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 I uh, okay, okay. So short run between now and the twenty-six, which you're telling me if I got you right, i am putting words in your mouth. You're really playing the short game with the 26. I mean, you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, and you're you're much higher confidence so you're five and a half. But you're much higher confidence as looking out between now and October. In your world, you think there's a big down coming somewhere. Is that is that what I understood correctly?
1: Yes, potentially, and there's a re, there's a really good reason for it, and it's something that I've, I've tracked um, historically for like the last ten years, and it's because um, when you move into it used to be really, it could move up a little bit in time period this time, but second half of August, September, and kind of the first half of October, that's traditionally when the mutual funds do their tax selling. Um, if we went back 10 years ago, almost most almost all the mutual funds were on a um, fiscal year end of, of 1031, and a lot of them have moved it up to September, so 930. So that means they have to have all their, their tax selling done um, by 930. And that's what causes potentially weak periods or crashes. It's interesting how most crashes are October events or, or a lot of them are um, October events. And given that we only have 16 percent of stocks up, the thing I want to see is once Q2 holding numbers are out everywhere is to take like five of the bigger mutual funds and see if they've been smart about this and, and sold when things were bad or if they're waiting for like this bounce period potentially, and then they're going to try and and sell stuff. But historically the bad falls have come when uh, you've had more stocks down than, than up. So, so yeah. So George, that's the thing that causes me to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and say, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta be looking at my, I gotta look at where futures are right now because it's going to be a down 4% open in the morning. Con- right. Contrary to that, though, which is really interesting, is we have a lot of, well, on this hand, there's this, and on that hand, there's that. The one other thing is the shorts have gotten so confident in what they're doing, and the short selling is so high now that if certain things were to happen potentially, you could have a monster squeeze as well. Now, I don't see any signs of that. To me, I see the occasional day where you know, shorts get penal. Like today is a good example. Like probably 90% of the threes are up today, and even the fours are up just as much. The interesting thing is off of complete bottoms or lows, the fours typically outperform the threes, which is kind of an interesting thing. That the fours are a lot of times good companies, but they've just gotten weak, and people just decide not to short them. So when they come around to do the, the bottom fishing, that's where they tend to go. And the threes are only as good as the short squeeze is in those names. So the one thing that we have to, um, kind of respect now is that, um, the shorts are very confident. Anecdotally, I could give you lots of stories about that. Um, but it's starting to remind me a little bit of, um, March of 2009 from the extent that when we started to rally at six, 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 um, the shorts didn't even think about covering until we got up to uh, basically almost a thousand. So I think it was like nine seventy-five in July. And that's when they started to uh, cover the positions, because the thing that people kind of forget, like a lot of those shorts still made money because they were shorting at like, you know, even higher levels. So they were willing to accept some pain. And I I think there's a lot of that right now where shorts have made incredible amounts of money. So let's say they're, they're up, like pick a name that's like down, like, um, Scott's Miracle Grow is a great. Name. It's down like 50 percent right now I think over 50%. So let me just look at um, let me just look at that chart here really quickly just use this this one to get people kind of thinking about it.
0: Uh, come on. While you're looking for it Jeff, I'll just say listen to you talk about how maybe the shorts have gotten over their skis in the short run, but longer term, you're very concerned. Um, and we're, By the way, for those of you who are interested, we're having a room on Thursday, this Thursday at 11 a.m. with Walter Deemer I'm just going to invoke one of his great quotes. I quote, the stock market will do whatever it has to do to embarrass the greatest number of people to the greatest extent possible. Translate that to current circumstances. The market should like rip, we're face-ripping rally to the upside, force some of the shorts to cover and then flush the toilet with an epic collapse in the fall. So Jeff, back to you.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's look at the, uh, let's look at the SMG example. Like let's say you got shorted in January at uh, let's say $160. And then it kind of bottomed here at 75 and now it's at 84. And let's say your stops at a hundred, you're just going to sit on it and you're not going to provide the power that you need to be. Cause it's like, 160 down to 60 you know you still got a really nice gain, especially in the world of of short selling you know the way the way i think of short selling is a a single is making zero to ten percent and a double is 10 to to 20 um a triple is 25 to 50 and 50 or more is is like a home run but how many really good short sellers historically of all the trades they do are You there?
0: Sorry, I had a call come in. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we lost so, you. So, 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 so Jeff, Jeff, hold, hold, hold I can go on. Slightly different. Sorry, did you finish the thought? Yeah, so, right so, so ahead, basically
1: on the example of Scott's Miracle Grow, you know, like, it's 84 this morning. Is the guy who shorted at 160 feeling pressure? The guy who would be feeling pressure is the guy who shorted it at 75, and it's now up $10, and if it goes from 75 to 100, he's down 33%. But the guy who shorted it at 160 is still making a lot of money. So, so, so that's, so, right, so just, that's where, that's where yes, we sit, just, like today. Um, right. And, and I, I think the idea is, I love how it's like people get put in holes of being like a bull or a bear. I, I just consider myself to be like a dog. I chase the ball. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, chasing no, the, it, I'm chasing the it, ball it, and trying to figure yeah, out yeah, what no,
0: it, going it, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, and that goes to the Jesse Livermore quote about, you know, it's there's, there's no, there's not the bull, set, the bull side or the bear side of the market. It's the right side of the market. We just want to make money. So let me just throw uh, – by the way, I'd like – again, we're speaking, let's just reset the room here. We're with Jeff Carbaza Quantitative Partners, probably the, the country's leading expert on, uh, on, on, on on short interest data, a really good uh, market observer. Uh, if you're interested, please reach out to Jeff. Um, he serves as Quantitative Partners. Um, you know, they have a lot of clients, but institutional, some of the biggest, most sophisticated institutions down to individuals. And I'm sure if you're interested, Jeff, you can work something out with Jeff. Um, so Jeff is giving us a, a, sort of his, his views of the market. Please raise your hand. If you have a question, uh, Jeff, I'm going to throw a couple of particular names at you just cause, okay. um, you're timely and I'm sure the room's interested, uh, and they're coming out with earnings shortly. Um, so one is Tesla two is Apple. So what are your thoughts on those two names? Please.
1: Yeah, so Tesla, it's interesting. It got down here in uh, in June. It got a little over 50% short intensity, a little bit of covering it. It doesn't have a, a big short ratio. Um, it's, it's only around one and a lot of the bigger stocks. But now what's interesting is the absolute number of shares have fallen incredibly in this name. We're now down to 27 million shares. And August, so two years ago, it was at 70 million shares so that's why the short ratio has come down um, to such large degree. so this this stock is it's a long squeeze in our work right now the tech ranks at 20 percent um the short no, it's not quite there because the short intensity is a little bit too high it's at 49 but then the short ratio is at 1.07 so it's a quasi um type four the thing that it had recently in uh this kind of june and july period we had a couple up down up down moves and those are driven off of excess put activity. but now that's kind of gone away. So, I'm I'm not a fan of this thing.
0: And, and so, so that's, so, so that's Tesla. So let's move on to Apple, please, because and also that may be a good uh, place. I mean, you and I were talking about Apple, Apple earlier. So, yeah. what do you think technically about Apple? And also, you had some comments and some thoughts about what they did yesterday.
1: Yeah, so it's it's up today like 1.8 percent. It's it's well off of the june uh 17th low and now now the question is does it break through 150 dollars and then go higher and i see the the 200 day moving average is at one fifty eight thirty nine, so that's going to be a bigger deal people have been shorting apple interestingly enough uh since april um and let's see how many shares are there short in apple mm-hmm. Yeah, we got 112 million shares short in Apple, which is, but the thing is it trades so much every day that it's only 1.29, but the short intensity is there. So what I like to do, and, and by the way, there's no foot squeeze in Apple right now. And if we look at the seasonality, it runs into September, October seasonal weakness, not as much August, but it's more a, a September um, phenomenon. Um, one thing that we, we did about five or six years ago is we quantified how the short sellers do. So as an example, I can look at Apple and I can see, well, how have the short sellers done in Apple? And now we've got moderate short selling because we're above the 50 percent level. So historically, the shorts get squeezed 61 percent of the time um, and then the shorts make money 39 percent of the time. Um, But the difference between the two is not that great. The average squeeze is 11 percent and. Um, when the shorts make money on average, they make 8%. So there, there is some validity to the idea of smart short sellers existing in Apple, not, not hugely, but decently. And it's something that I would be aware of. And George and I were talking this morning, um, about Apple as what happened yesterday, because effectively they, they, um, they cut corners on Reg FD yesterday and kind of leaked what was going on uh, at the company in certain units where there's going to be issues. And then when it was leaked, it was leaked through Bloomberg. So they're considered national media. And so they put out on Bloomberg.com two paragraphs. And then for the Bloomberg users, they gave them like 16 paragraphs. And then three hours later, they decided to publish the rest of it. To me, that's, that's like a company playing games. And it's, it's, it's kind of surprising that they would do it. So, um, I think this could be an interesting stock, and, and clearly, it's it's a market stock too. It'll it'll drive down the S and P. But our our tech rank has never gotten above sixty percent since it's gotten sixty percent a couple times and failed. But it hasn't had a, a strong ranking since the end of last year at one hundred percent in December, when it was like one hundred and eighty dollars. So I don't know. If I think,
0: so, so is Apple a pair of twos, or would you be leaning long or short right now on Apple?
1: I'm just kind of neutral on it. But if I was, okay. if, I was aggr- if I was an aggressive short seller, like, to me, this is an ideal point to put on a short because it's right below $150. If it breaks at $150, people are going to sell it. And if it goes up above $150, people are going to uh, want to own it. The, the one other thing that we do, George, which is really, I think, great work, is we do... We have our own money flow. It's called the Erlanger Volume Swing. And it's, it's slightly positive right now. Um, but the, week, the the weekly is still... Um, hang on, I'm just pulling up the weekly here. I want to make sure I'm speaking correctly. Yeah, the weekly is still negative. Well, that's, that's what's so interesting about almost every stock right now. Remember, only 16% are up for the year. And yeah, you can get stocks that have positive volume swing on a daily basis, but very, very few names have uh, come back above uh, and turned positive. The only time they kind of did it this year was in the March kind of turnaround on a weekly basis, but we're still at a minus 8.39.
0: Yep. Got it. All right. That's great, Jeff. All right. So now let's open it up Uh, again. We're with Jeff Garbaza, Quantitative Partners. Um, Jeff is the country's leading expert on short selling and a great market observer. So Marcus, um, welcome. What's your question, Marcus? The floor is yours, please unmute yourself. Marcus, are you there? I guess not. Um, hmm, all right, so while we're waiting for other questions, I'm sure somebody's gonna have a question here. Um, so Jeff, for the average person at home, like who's not gonna be trading this thing week in and week out and looking at, you know, Tommy Thornton's, you know, DeMarc signals, and all that sort of stuff. What would you tell them? Basically, wait for a better pitch to it. Let's get through this potential for a significant down in the fall. And maybe once you commit to the market, you know, in October, once the dust is settled, like, what would you tell the average investor? If you were sitting, say you were sitting on the investment committee, you know, of a, yep. of a charity or something like that, where they're not, they're not day trading this thing. Okay. And yep. maybe they're moving money quarterly, annually. I don't know. Like, if, or maybe they got they got some cash in. Someone just gave them a big, a big, uh, a big donation. Would you be waiting till October before you put the money to work? Like, how would you approach the market, Jeff?
1: Well, you know, one one thing that's a good way to look at stuff is dollar cost averaging. Um, and with like some of the stocks that have been really crushed, that's not a bad approach. Um, and what I would say for the individual is, you know, we we have an indicator which I've talked about a little bit, and I'll take it out to the periodicity where it would work. I call it the Warren Buffett. Uh, indi- we have an indicator even for Warren Buffett. It's the monthly DMA channel. So um, until the monthly DMA channel turns positive again, I think you can just sit tight if you're like the average investor. You may not get like uh, the, the absolute low, but you'll be you'll be within ten or fifteen percent of the bottom. And another so so that's another way. So there's average costing following the uh, the DMA. One thing, George, I like to do, and and this is a positive. I I have a thing called the bottom fisher, okay? So we all know what bottom fishing is, trying to get stuff off off of a low. And the way I do it is I take a weekly DMA channel and a monthly DMA channel. So the whole idea is if you're in or above the weekly channel and you're below the monthly channel, and the relatives, Phil also, like if he had one indicator to use, he would say, I want to use relative strength. So we look at relative strength against the S&P and relative strength um, against the sector that it falls into. And then last, we look at volume swing, which I'm talking about. So there, there are pl- th- like the list of stocks that are potentially in bottom fishing situations right now. It's like it's like 1300 stocks, <laughs> which is a big number. You know, there's a lot of stuff that is interesting. Um, the one th- the one thing that is interesting to me. I hate this idea of like the buy of the buy of your lifetime, right? I don't I don't believe in buy of lifetimes, but I do believe in like the buy of a decade. And we, we know that you had your buy of the decade in 2009. Um, you could make an argument maybe then in 2011 or 2015 or after the f- fourth quarter of 18 have been kind of those type of opportunities. Are, are we there right now? Um, maybe, but also maybe not really, just because the internals of what we look at. We, we, when we do our weekly work, George, it's like it's like going to the doctor every week and getting your, your blood pressure taken, your enzyme levels, etc. And none of that stuff is like positive right now. It's just a real struggle. Nothing's looking good. So oh, I, those, I those are a couple different ways for people to kind of yep. kind of play it a little bit.
0: I hear, it. I hear. It. Okay, so hold on, Marcus, are you there? You got your hand up. Um, I don't know if yes. you disappeared. Mar- yeah, yeah, Marcus, I, what's up?
2: I, I... sorry about that uh thank you again for the spaces john uh i mean um george amazing um i have a quick question with with option
0: activities and and in the the selling out of the money short-term uh put activity have you seen any spike or do you typically see a spike when we usually get a flush into the market thank you
1: um yeah i mean the put activity spikes uh, as as we go down, absolutely, and that's how we know we've made like a short term bottom, and then we're gonna we're gonna bounce. Um, you know, it's 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 almost flawless because we can also do this not on a stock by stock basis, but also do it on the sectors. So as I mentioned early on, I was saying how we had 24 sectors around like the June 17th low, and that's been kind of dropping off now. Now we're not at a level where it's excessive. So yeah, it does a really good job. What's interesting? What doesn't do a really good job is the call activity. Um, it just kind of stopped after that 2002 period. For it, it does a great job on individual stocks like Apple. It's almost flawless. When the call activity gets successive and it's had a big run, you know it's going to uh, you, you know it's going to pull back. But um, as far as using that as a market timing tool um, on on the entire market excess call activity, that doesn't really work. But on the put side, yeah, it works really great.
0: Thank you for that. Sorry. Okay, so let's go to KFAB and then uh, Dave Nikoski. KFAB, good to hear from you, my friend. What's up?
3: Hey, George. Thanks. Jeff, nice to speak with you again. Um, Do you do any um, short-selling work on international ETFs? And and if so, are you seeing anything of notice there, uh, given all of the wonderful events that are unfolding uh, beyond our shores?
1: Yeah. So we track, we don't track every single ETF because ETFs are now kind of like triples. They get, you know, if you, if you follow star Trek, remember the, tri, the, the tribbles? they just came out, and they bred everywhere more than even, even rabbits. I mean, ETFs are being created every single day. What we do do is we do track the major ones uh, and look where short selling is. And then we combine it with our technicals to have a good idea. And um, we use that for just overall take on the, uh, on the market. And right now, all the, all the foreign ETFs, basically, with the exception of, of China, look really kind of very weak in our work right now. I would say that the daily, if I looked at like EEM or EFA, those are OK. Um, but the weekly and the monthly are just really bad. And ch- interesting, China is bad now daily, but the weekly is kind of still OK and the monthly is still bad. But across the board, looking internationally, um, almost everything is still really bad weekly and monthly. Um Interesting. Like I just pulled that screen up to look at it. Um, this is the first time that the weekly has been inside below uh, from below, which is a big positive um, on the Dow, Spy, ONEQ, which is the Nasdaq Composite ETF, MDY, and IWM. So that's kind of an interesting development with uh, with today's action. You know, kind of pushing back again in 390 or 3900 on uh, the S and P 500. So, does that KFAB, does that help you? Yeah. Yep.
0: Okay. Thanks. Great. Thanks, KFAB. Mr. Nikoski, Dave, good to see you, my friend. Another another uh, solid, clear thinking Midwesterner. Uh, you, by the way, is, is, so, Dave, I got to ask you, is this Minnesota, Wisconsin thing? Is this like a rivalry? Like, what's the deal? I'm yeah, sorry. We, fight, we fight for the axe,
1: George. No, ax,
0: George. We fight for the axe, George. So, we fight for the axe. So, Nikoski, what's, what's your take on those guys from Wisconsin? Wisconsin, yeah, Wisconsin. Well, just through Wisconsin uh, last week,
4: and everything looked good. I drove through the UP, up in Michigan.
5: Abs- if no one's ever been there, absolutely beautiful country, untouched. Great lakes surrounding it. It's gorgeous. Great place to go vacation.
0: By the um, way, is, that place, is any of that stuff being run over by people leaving the city? Like, you know, give us just before we get to your stock questions. So, like, someone was telling me the other day, like some of the same stuff you see on the East Coast, where people are fleeing New York or Boston and going to like the Cape or the Hamptons, whatever it's overrunning all these places, which were relatively, you know, less inhabited. And is the same thing happening in the upper, upper Midwest? I mean, I don't know. Absolutely. Talk to me about- Absolutely yeah.
5: Many, Minneapolis has turned into quite the crap hole. Um, I I have a place up in Northern Minnesota in in the lakes area with, uh, you know, probably 50 lakes within 10 miles and it is being run over i know that that area the brainerd lakes area as they call it um last year was the second highest um appreciation in home prices in the country but realize we're not dealing with home prices like you have on the east coast so you know something in the million dollar range buys you a place on the lake whereas you're in boston or new york you know it's a one bedroom uh one bath house right um but it's, it's gorgeous, but we're seeing a lot of people in the Northern areas and the outskirts, you know, two hours North of Minneapolis are absolutely going rampant. And you're seeing a lot of people just retire, um, and retire out, you know, up in the, up in the uh, Northern tundra.
1: So
0: the frozen tundra, there you go.
1: And George, on the other thing on, on, uh, Wisconsin, um, it's interesting. Green Bay, if you look at a map, you'll see this kind of index finger that juts out into uh, into Lake Mich- Michigan. It's a peninsula. And that's called Door County. And Door County is basically the Midwest equivalent of uh, Cape Cod. And except the water, you know, you can see down 10 feet in, uh, in Lake Michigan up there, as opposed to seeing six inches and not knowing whether you're going to get bit by a, a shark on the Cape now. Yeah,
5: you know, and most people think of the Great Lakes. I, I did a, uh, a, I was a Boy Scout leader for years, and I took several kids up there into um, what's called the Apostle Islands outside of Bayfield. And yeah, you can gorgeous. literally take a, take a glass, dip it in the lake, and drink it. It is that clean. It really is. It, it is amazing. You know, the water temperature is 34, 35 degrees all year long. And it's cold as heck, and it's you know it preserves any shipwreck or anything like that, like you wouldn't believe. So it's a beautiful wow. area, absolutely gorgeous. Um, but hey, Jeff, I've got two questions for you. Sure. You mentioned that you so I, I do very much the sim- similar thing that you do, and I utilize relative strength, break down the market, follow you know a little over five thousand stocks in the U S. and about seven thousand stocks broken down by geographic region, sector, and group so you mentioned that you have 28 sectors how how did you compile and where did you get 28 sectors from because we have 12 sectors in our uh in our product and we have 440 industry groups broken down within that um second question will be you know the us dollar how does that compile into your analysis um, and let me give you an example. You know, 2002, once we saw uh, the NASDAQ, you know, complete its complete its downfall, you know, in 2002, you broke the dollar uptrend because it was the only down it's much like we see here. Um, you know, my concerns with that would be that, you know, back in 2002, I was working with my father, Ed Nikoski,
2: who put out a call
5: on that very day of that crack and said, you know, we're going to see a major decline because you're... And, you know governments and central banks around the world repatriate money and of course it's going to in my opinion it's going to determine how fast the dollar moves down from its precipice um, but it was a great call and that's what led into you know the 2002 cracking making the low in 03 and then building a nice base for for us to project up from at that point so i hope that of gives you a little idea of what my question was
1: yeah so on the first part of it so we do not 20 we're 24 sectors um, okay. S&P subgroups and then we do uh, 146 industry groups so as an example in tech um, our sectors are software uh, semiconductors and then hardware and equipment. That's what that's what our three sectors okay. make up. And then you know, like as an example for semiconductors, we do semiconductors as a group, and we do semi equipment as a group. And so those are our two groups within that. Okay. And then we take all of our information, roll it all up to do to do uh, ranks on that stuff. And on the dollar, dollar is a good a good example of uh, what I call our uh, our bias. So the bias on um, the dollar, we use the DMA channel, let me explain this to people so they kind of understand it conceptually. For whatever period we're looking at, it's a six period mover, moving average. And it's offset it's offset into four periods it, going forward. So if we were looking at a monthly chart, it would be a six month moving average offset into the future by four months. And then what we do is the, the upper band is from the high of that period and the lower band is from the low of that period. So that's what sets the bias. So clearly right now, the bias on UUP on a uh, on a uh, pretty much every period right now is positive. Um, I mean, we got above 29 on UUP. We got to come down to 2779 before I would even say that, OK, the bias is changing on um, the dollar. And okay. um, obviously, because of ETFs now, we can track. You know, this against every ETF as well, currency ETF, and see how they're doing. And then our trigger stuff, um, you know, we have, we have a couple price momentum-y type things that we use, ETS confirmation, EC spread, Erlanger trend direction, and then we have our own volume stuff as well. So that's positive um, also. And uh, one thing I like to do is just tracking, if we're talking about currencies, is just how the dollar is doing against the S&P. And uh, I found a really good good one against um, uh, Bitcoin, and uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you what it is, but it's a relative strength type thing, and it's comparing two things, yep. and it just gave a a buy signal in the last couple of days. So to me, it looks like the worst of the damage for the time being is is done in um, in Bitcoin.
0: Thanks, yep.
5: and thanks for that. I'm David. not a crypto fan, but I yep I would agree with you. Um, and you know, I, I, since I use relative strength and we use it in our own manner, um, you know, that works for us. Um, and I agree with you on the biotechs. I've been an early proponent on the biotechs for a couple of months now. So, um, definitely seeing that. And I'm seeing some, some signs of life in retail. And I know George is going to give me a at it, but you know, I've got a number of names popping up, you know, whether it's golf or Crocs, um, you know, look like they're making some bottoms. So I don't like to throw out individual names. I don't own them, but that's that's what I've been uh, you know discussing. With yeah, clients. it's interesting. So, retail,
1: re, retail, re, retail, and our stuff is is bottom of the barrel still. It ranks nineteen. Yep. Um, now I will say this: consumer durable slash apparel um, is better. It's at uh it's at twelve right now out of twenty four. So it's just middle. But the uh, yep. the bigger the bigger type retail stuff. Is um, you know, and if I sort it by market cap, let's say I go by like the bigger market cap. Interesting, like there there are some names that are okay, like Home Depot is okay. Chinese stuff is in there. Uh, T G X is looking good. Dollar General, O'Reilly, AutoZone. Yep, yep. those those are the type yep. of names that work. Those have but then
5: well for quite a while, e, O'Reilly yeah, and AutoZone yep. on a relative basis it, 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 have been
0: hey, absolutely hey, stellar. It, 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 Dave Nikoski, let me ask you a question. So, yep. I remember we were together in a room about a month ago. My- Michael Belkin made the sell call on energy. You were like, yeah, anytime something gets to be so over – you weren't making the sell call necessarily, but you were like, anytime something gets so extended above a moving average, it's like it's not a good entry point. Yeah, it could easily correct, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, you know, that happened quickly. So, here we are. So, for someone who, who doesn't think you're a genius because you got it right, or doesn't think you're an idiot because you got something wrong – Who's meeting for the first time? You go to meet a new client. They say, "Dave, what do you think about energy? What would you tell them now on energy?" Energy right now. I'm I, sorry, uh, you broke up. Say it again, please.
5: I'm a buyer of energy now. My price target when we had that discussion, better day moving average was at 93.50. I said, you know, 98. Uh, you can always, you know individuals when they want out they want out at any cost and we dipped. you know one day through that
0: 93 hey dave you're breaking up on us you're in the matrix now dave i'm trying to get out of the matrix oh there you go okay so you were saying we we got we got down to that level okay and then we lost it go ahead go ahead yeah so
5: You know, I thought that we would probably come back into the 9350 level. And, you know, whether it's 93 or 94, you know, it's close enough. And it depends on how wide of a marker I'm using to draw up my lines. Um, I I think that when, you know, if you're on the other side of the world or we were suffering the same pattern that that Europe is, that you don't know if you can fill your car, you don't know if you can get a gallon of gas, I, I think that there's a premium to at least safety and security. Um, from a military standpoint, I think draining the SPR has kept us in check with where we are at, and once that's gone, you're gonna lose that. I, I think that you're gonna see, you know, a lot more onshoring here in the US. Mm-hmm. I think that's gonna drive energy demands up. Um, you know, I, I would stay right, away from right, 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 the automobile. Right, right. But Dave, yep. but
0: Dave speaking of short, do you think we need we see the correction in price we just need to build some bases you think it's you could put your toe back in the water or would you wait
5: i think you can put your toe back in the water um but i, I wouldn't go you know bring it up to you know we're, we're overweight in energy right now and yep. I, I would say you you buy on the pullbacks only you don't chase it let let things soften out you know i posted a chart today um which was interesting because we hear of this gas demand destruction um, I, th- I think it was Belkin that also posted that. <laughs> hey, hey, hey
0: D- Dave! You got what? Dave, you're in the matrix again. We can't hear you at all. I'm sorry. All right, can sorry, you hear me? George, hey, do you want to just move on a little bit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dave, be there. If you're if you're in the matrix, yeah. no. If you're out of the matrix, yes. Dave, I'm here. You're okay you now. Okay, I'll keep my arm yeah, out the window. Yep. I'm
5: driving um when i pulled up the baltic dirty tanker index you know that's still climbing and we're still near 10-year highs it's done nothing but go up for the last month and it's not showing at least oil demand is subsiding at least on a tanker
0: basis
1: right
0: so you you see so in the water that's cool yeah jeff yep jeff hey george
1: so i i would say i'm 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 not as sanguine is is he is and and clearly the price is the driver i I had a research guy i worked with for a long time great guy bruce gulliver is a phd and and he found that um whether it be materials or energy the the underlying commodity drove like 80 percent of the price so basically if you get the direction of oil right you're gonna be a a hero and if you don't you're in trouble and so far in energy when it broke down in the middle of of June and on our stuff, like it broke down and it hasn't come back yet. And what's interesting is the issues above the 50 day have fallen completely apart. So to me, that would be a litmus test that I would want to go. Like we were at, in other words, if I look at the, all the energy stocks right now, there were above their 50 day, 222 names. Right now we got 29 names. That's pretty bad. So I, I got to see some more improvement before I would even think about coming in. Because um, if you look at like XLE and you get a break here um, of the seventy dollar level, I mean you could go to sixty in in a moment's notice. And I, th- I think the one argument against energy right now with where it is. If it was up at 90, I wouldn't be even saying to worry about stuff, but it's now they're losers. They're people that came in, you know, basically if you bought energy, um, kind of pre January or after January, you're a loser. You're losing money now. And so those people are going to, their hands are going to be forced. <laughs> if XLE breaks like the $70. And if we wake up one morning and guess and Puty's dead and gone, um, you're gonna get a real big drop in the price of oil. It's pretty much a guarantee. Yeah, so, so,
0: so, so, so there's def-
1: risk. There's risk. I would yeah, say no, there's more yeah. risk.
0: Yeah, and so, yeah, so you know, as you know, Mister Energy Tourist, my life and times as, as uh, autobiography is, is told to Jeff garvis I get it. There were a lot of like lazy longs that, ca- that came in at the top, and so yeah, no, totally. So that, that, that's a great. Those are those. That's, those are really thoughtful responses, both. From Dave and Jeff. Let's move on here a little bit. I want to go to Jackson and then Carpathia. Jackson, good to see you. What's up, man?
4: Jackson,
6: please unmute yourself. You two you guys. Um, as Aces would say, get a room because I love Jeff Garbaz. I wanted to ask really a
4: <laughs> equity an
6: equity question. Believe it or not, I am a private equity guy, but do participate. Um, Al Levinson got me down the rabbit hole of the Richard Dennis turtle method a few weeks ago. I mentioned it to Tommy Thornton. He said he was kind of getting that feel. Jeff, what I'm talking about is like at the bare bones, as we continue to trade in this range, it's going to take so much energy, you know, positive energy to get us to go on this, on a run, a, a significant rally. Where are you with that? I mean, what is the new significant rally? Is it like 4,200? I mean, you know, everybody wants it, but where, where do you see us? No, I, th- I think we're like, this,
1: this is, this is a, a Starbucks market. In other words, lots of people are going on strike. <laughs> There's just a buyer strike right now of owning stocks, and actually, I think the thing gets lit very quickly if people all of a sudden decide to. We let's say we 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 get through uh, four thousand um, in the next week or so, and then everyone's like, "Oh crap! I got to get in again because I got to keep up my performance." Um, the one thing that we look at is. Uh, we, we love to do take our indicators and do it on the overall market. And the one thing that's kind of come back to life, it's in, it's a neutral territory from being bad is um, the Erlanger volume swing on the market. So this is our own uh, tracking of how volume is. And right now it's a zero and it was at a minus at the, at the, uh, at the may low, let's call it like minus, what were we minus minus 18, which is about as low as it gets. And the peak was last year we were at 12 in on the november peak um the january peak was a lot less so like there is some buying that's going on but it's 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 small and i would say probably a a small portion of that is short covering as well so um i actually think i mean It's kind of like the West Coast. You don't get any rain and then a forest fire starts and before you know it, it's a fifty thousand acre forest fire. That that could that that is a, a definite possibility to the market. And that and by the way, for hedge funds, that is now the pain trade. The pain trade is is a short squeeze. Not more downside action
0: for hedge funds. George, you agree with that? Jeff, you spelled it out, and I'm tweeting at your comment. Did you, did you write your own copy? By the way, I, I got this. Oh, I want to get sure I got the quote right. This is a Starbucks market. The market is seeing a buyer's strike. I think I got that right. Um, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. Say, hey Thanks, Jackson, you have, Jackson, you follow up, or we'll go, we'll, or we'll go on to Carpathia. Jackson, you got no one or not? Not, not after okay. that. Thanks so much, Jeff. That's yep. great, Carpathia, my friend. You're up. What's up?
7: Hey, not much. Um, my little scope you know, I just saw something come across the exposure to equities to retail is low or with AAI, but I, it, it, it sort of dovetails what the guest is saying. And, uh, I agree with, uh, Nicosky, you know, on the energy, but I'm a little more, I'm actually dipping my toe back in, but it depends on, you know, how you're structured because I know George, you caught it. I caught it. So, yeah, I went zero energy and what I'm noticing, and this is, you know, uh, just me watching the futures and um, every day, well, you know, there's a lot of days oil opens down and here's another one turns green. Okay. So I, I have a few names I like. I won't mention them. You know, I DM you and I think you got to run a play there uh, to me because on my names, I'm picking, yeah, you could have a big gap. The guy was saying, you know, Putin leaves, peace breaks out, which is a chance. But the other flip side of that coin is they peel Germany off and it's going to be a, you know, absolute energy disaster this fall. So to me, you got readily defined Stop losses on your favorite names. Uh, my, My two favorite names are hugging points where I could just get out of them, 50 cents, a dollar, $2. But oil's turning green every day. My names turn around, they open red, and one of them's up two bucks right now. So if we're energy bulls long term, I am. Longer term, there's no way out of this. I think it's a good spot to run some plays. That's just my two cents.
0: I'm totally sympathetic to that Carpathia. I mean, we're in one of these awkward places right now, where and someone DM me. I think he's right. Um, they said, you know, we're talking about energy, the energy trade. Maybe you get the maybe you get the bear market in time as opposed to price right now. I, you know, we had the crash. We fell out of bed. Um, some technicians who were more, you know, will say we need to see more of a base building. Whatever. I mean, I could totally see. I could totally see the way the way you're saying things. I, I'm also. Uh, I'm painfully aware that sometimes uh, the best thing to do is nothing when you're conflicted. And I'm conflicted right now. Um, I see your argument. The flip side of it is, I think um, the news will continue to go from bad to worse on the economy generally, that earnings are going to be a disaster, that the narrative that the world's falling into recession, I think it is, um, is going to gain ascendancy. And, you know, we haven't seen a collapse in demand for physical oil. It's been about d- demand, a collapse in demand for financial oil, financial barrels. And that was basically the whole genesis of the stand aside or, my, you know, Michael Belkin's more fundamental. He's like, you know, we're going to recession, demand's going to collapse. Mine was a more nuanced one. I actually said, it, if you go back and listen to it, which was, I was afraid that the, uh, you know, sentiment towards oil would sour as people run with the uh, recession narrative and the, 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 the the, the demand financial demand for oil would collapse which is which is what's happened and so yeah, right, you' right yeah sorry go ahead go ahead uh,
7: no no go ahead uh, but I tell you what knocked me off the side of the pool we were sitting on the side of the pool hand in hand right with drinks just oh, let's see what yep. happens yep. some dude some got somebody proclaimed they tried to buy oil five dollars over the paper price i can't remember where i saw it and i started thinking about that that the physical what you just said so i'm willing to take that chance but nowhere near the layer that i did in you know november of 20 you know but it, you know i'm running some plays uh it's not going to kill me if it goes the other way but yeah. there's an equal chance you know i can. I can uh, shave off, and I already have a couple of times, and I, you know, it's working again today. So I'm just giving my two cents. I think no, Fab- You I see
3: Can I jump on two, this quick, George?
0: Go ahead. Oh, hold on, K-Fab, One thing, one thing, K-Fab. The tweet you're talking about, I saw that same tweet and I had a similar similar reaction to you. did. I just didn't act on it. KFab, over to you. Yeah. So when I listen to. Uh, you know as as i always say like you george i'm a
3: tourist on some of these uh specific topics uh so when i listen to somebody like dr anas um say that the physical crude market is relatively well supplied it's in the the finished products where there's issues the refining capacity um i i take note and then i look at and maybe jeff can comment on this i mean it looks to me as if the refining stocks have you know kind of been a relative uh weak spot in this downdraft, which to me speaks volumes because the crack spreads are still quite wide. Um, so, you know, and again, within the macro backdrop where I kind of specialize in, if this looks like it's going to be a consumer-driven um, recession kind of rolling over with the negative impact on real wages, et cetera, and the inflationary environment. Um, and again, if you look at what our Bob did relative to crude even in this downdraft it, it seems to me that this is all kind of setting up for the finished products demand destruction um that people have kind of warned about and if the physical crude market's well supplied and we're on the front end of a global recession um you know i think that story kind of writes itself
0: really good insight KFab. i mean uh you know <laughs> it's a confusing situation to put it mildly and Everyone hey the hey, meetings, hey George!
1: Hey George! Yeah, yeah, on, yeah Jeff. Uh, I, on on KFabs ideas, I just went in in our software. I can very quickly go and look at oil refining. And so if I if I go and pull up the charts, I'm just going to say long or short. LIN short, MPC short, Valero short, uh, PSX short. The thing is, like our our numbers are our numbers. They're data. They're not opinion. And 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 what I'm hearing is. Um, a lot of confirmation bias on this. Like, you can find your indicator to look us up, but if you're looking at core strict stuff, and one thing I find really interesting about these energy discussions, there's zero discussion about half of the energy market, which is natural gas, which is clearly in a downtrend, and should be, like, not, because there's such demand for it, uh, and it's a matter of time until, you know, we replace Russia at some point. It's going to take a long time, which is what the price is telling you now. So I don't know. I just I think that the idea of oh, I'm setting my stop and I'm okay, that's I actually think that's not a good trade. Because you could wake up one morning and find oil down twenty percent. Well J- J-
0: Jeff, let me ask you this. Um, so I, I think there's a you know, a lot of smart guys in this room and I always agree on everything. That's fine, we're just trying to help each other. Um, so I think KFAS point on refining was really interesting brilliant. and kind of really yeah, hold on. Hold on. Confirmed by the data. Okay. Could you please share with us, you just mentioned some commentary on natural gas, which, you know, in the cheap seats, if you're tr- if you're flying first class in the tourist sector, like the narrative, though, that should be great for all the reasons you just set out. But can you just share with us, what does the data say on the natural gas stocks, please? Okay. So remember,
1: like the way I look at the world is I first want to know what the bias is. So I go to weekly or monthly. And and because of who my clients are, I'm more I'm more people that are like David Tepper than are like Warren Buffett. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to always employ a a weekly bias to to how I look at um, underlying commodities. And it's still negative. And if I go to my triggers, um, ETS confirmation, which is one of four like price triggers I follow. It had been positive. It peaked um earlier in the spring and now that's negative my ec spread is negative so like there's just nothing there that gets me excited about wanting to uh play natural gas right now it just it's it's just
0: it's a nothing burger got it okay let's go to uh kevin kevin you've had your hand up please unmute yourself kevin
4: Uh, Hi, George. Great space as always. Um, My question, something that Jeff touched on there with respect to uh, the pain trade likely being up here. um, I'm kind of fascinated by the idea because I don't do a lot of work on seasonality. And I'm curious when you see a market that's down as much as it is uh, this year, um, again, you've got managers that are going to try to protect wins and you've got managers that are trying to chase performance going into year end i'm just wondering has anybody done any work on seasonality specifically in markets like this in other words are we actually is it actually the flip side where instead of going into a seasonally weak period we're actually about to go into a seasonally strong period given that the market uh is extremely short or so it would seem to be right um i'll leave that out there oh yeah so
1: i can answer that really really it's really kind of cool. So our seasonality charts go back to 2007 right now. So I'm looking at spy right now and I can very quickly click on 2008. I can see how we performed for that whole year against the seasonality right now and it yep. and actually and actually it looks a lot like this it, it's it, George I'll send this to you afterwards it's scary. It's like it was straight down in 2008 from May until July. Then we kind of rallied into August, kind of went sideways, and then we hit September and see you later. Fell apart for the uh, for the rest of the year. So that, and then if I go to, let's see, the next bad period was 2011. Yeah. Um, same same deal. Although it ended in like late October, beginning of November. And then we just went kind of sideways. I'm looking at the bad years. Uh yeah. 2015 fall apart. August, September, October. And I think it's if, if people weren't on at the beginning, we talked about uh, the seasonality of tax selling. Um, and then the next the next and final one bucked the trend. It actually went up July, August, September into October and then it was it was like one of the worst fourth quarters ever. That was 2018. So 2018 is the only year that kind of bucked the, uh, the trend.
4: Interesting. Okay, yeah, Jeff
3: Jeff real quick it, it, what was interesting about the 08 year is because I think that peak to trough from July and August was over 10% and again people have to remember that was in the midst of crude oil blowing up down on the downside and freddie and fanny going <laughs> bankrupt <laughs> right so that was all unfolding as the market was going up during that period so they you know I've called it the fog of cycles like once this starts to unwind you get all kinds of crazy shit that goes on that's inexplicable in the short term relative yeah. to the context of the cycle time frame
0: yeah 100 uh, percent, KFab, and, and there's always the need to try to uh put a narrative with price and there's so many disparate investor groups out there with, with different objectives like we it's, it's not knowable it's just not knowable period on the post game show we're looking at the video at the instant replay yeah we can say well you know whatever but APRI, it's 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 virtually impossible to anticipate so uh, excellent insight KFAB. all right let's go let's go to uh rich and then you know rich uh, uh, hold on a second here uh yeah rich you're up you're yeah. up. Hey, jo- hey, hey hey George just one quick thing
1: that people need to be aware of that we haven't talked about related to this thing at all and it, it may spur more questions is everyone needs to remember and just just really every day you come into the office write it down somewhere and you look at it you are trading against the machines, okay? And this morning is a great example. We gapped up. We stayed in the five-minute range until 10 o'clock. Then we ripped above resistance, never came back to it, never looked back at it again, hit the one-hour high, sat there for a little bit, and now we're just off in la-la land. And there is there is nothing else. The machines will probably just continue to take it higher. But understand, like if, like, you, don't know, if you don't know what the levels are, on a day-to-day basis, like yesterday was a great example, on the opposite side, where it just completely fell apart. And as soon as we started breaking levels, it was one right after the other. And it wasn't individuals, it was machines doing it. So just
0: understand that. Um, thanks, for, thanks for that, Jeff. All right, let's go to Rich, and then we'll do Bowtie. Rich,
2: you're up. Yes. Um, right now, I think we're at a, a really important timing situation with these major earnings coming up. And I, I think we're already in a recession. There's no doubt about it. Um, some of these uh, indicators are so backwards, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm in wholesale retail. And a year ago, 15 months ago, I was it was inflation was clearly evident. Um, I mean, clearly, from what I do for for a living, um, and you know, price increases didn't even matter, and with the uh, supply chain and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, these companies got to be feeling it. Uh, major companies, you know, Amazon, Apple, whatever, all the major reportings that are coming out. Um, I, I think finally they are going to be showing it and saying it, and I think it's going to continue for the next two quarters. And I'm just wondering. If you have any particular favorite put option, you know option situations, best uh, shorts in this major earnings season coming up, or and for the next six months.
0: So thanks for the question. I'll go first, and then Jeff can have a shot at it. Um, I usually don't like to get in the business of picking uh, particular stocks, making picks. Um, I like to help people uh, figure out a way to, to to you know formulate their own uh, view of, of the world. I am. I remain very negative on consumer and consumer stocks. They've been having a little bit of a bounce lately. I suspect it's the opposite side of the energy trade. Um, the knee-jerk response is, oh, energy down, that's good for the consumer. Oh, gee, the Fed will stop raising rates, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Cantro, he's got to come up here. Uh, he's got to do a thing. I love when Cantro talks bearish. Because um, Cantro will explain, we're just entering the earnings recession. And um, actually, you know what, Cantro... I actually do a pretty good imitation. I'm going to try to next room. I got, I got to prepare for this, but I'm going to try to pretend I'm you. I got to change my avatar. I'm not as good looking as you are. At any rate, um, so I, I I wouldn't get anywhere. I'd be as far away from consumer stocks as possible. Short run, anything's possible. Um, and no, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I so you know the lazy way to do it. Just look at the XRT which is an equally weighted, uh, there's almost equally weighted um, uh, one-stop shopping you know, for all your unnecessary purchases, a whole bunch of retail stocks. I don't want to get into picks. I mean, yeah, you know, we, you know, everyone wants to short Costco. I think it's a crappy short because it's defensive and it's got relative growth and blah, blah, blah. And there are a lot of leverage, consumer discretionary aims, tied to consumer durables, which do look like pieces of crap. So it's a very heterogeneous sector. Um, Jeff do you want to talk just a little bit about the consumer names we retail like what do you see in the subgroups and what looks good what looks bad you mentioned before I think you said like apparel was kind of in the middle that was okay but what looks what looks worse to you what looks better to you within within consumer discretionary Jeff
1: yeah so if we start with I'm just going down to our sector stuff okay so if I go down to retail and see what what looks good or what looks bad. First of all, it's near the low end of our work. Um, automotive retail looks good in <clears throat> general merchandise, and that's it basically. And then neutral specialty stores, computer, electronic, hardware, um, and then avoid home improvement, catalog retail, internet retail, apparel retail, distributors, home furnishing retail, department stores. Absolutely at the bottom of the uh, of the work. I do like AZO. Um, and ORL, why? Those are both short squeezes in our work. God knows why people are shorting that, um, but they look bad. And then if I go more, George, you there? I just missed you for a
0: second. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. We can hear you, Jeff. Go ahead. Yep.
1: Okay. So if I go, if I go first of all, let's go consumer service. Um, Buys, education services, outright buy, and restaurants looking good. To me, the restaurant trade is a no-brainer because if gas prices go down, restaurants do well. If gas prices go up, restaurants struggle. And then everything else is in a void. Specialized consumer services, hotel cruise lines, um, casinos. And uh, I would stay away from any casino that's like Asia-driven because they're being shut down or they're opened up and they struggle off of that. And then leisure facilities as well. One of, one of my favorite shorts is uh, it's it's like a double play. It's it's like high high discretionary spending, uh, Vale Resorts, and it's also real estate. So th- this could this could be this thing could get buried.
0: Um, we have a winner. We have a winner. So speak to me about the short intensity in the chart, Jeff. What does it look like on, on Vail? It's
1: thirty-two. No one shorted thirty-two percent in two point three nine days. And the tech rank had been at like ten and twenty. It's now up to, to fifty a little bit. Um, it got a little bit of a put squeeze right now, but it, this thing looks it looks it looks horrible. It really does.
0: By the way, last thing we're we're going to do bow tie and then cantro, Um speaking of auto parts. So a couple of weeks ago, hey Jeff, question: Have you ever reach? Have you ever? I don't know how handy you are, but have you ever like recharged the air conditioning system on your car yourself? Hell no. Oh, I don't do that. I I suck at that stuff, George. I know. Well, so do I. So what happened was a few weeks ago, like my air conditioning was fine, except when you came to a stop and the engine wasn't revving that fast, it kind of like got a little warmer. So I didn't like that. So I called the dealership. It was like you know mañana we can't see. It was just in front of a July Fourth weekend. You know, blah blah blah. They're going to charge me, God knows how much. What, you know, 180 bucks an hour for the mechanic to figure out what's wrong. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. So I go to AutoZone, and I'd never done this to myself before. And I bought one of these refri- cans of refrigerants, like 49 bucks, 49.95. Comes with a meter on top of it. And, you know, there's the input and the output. You just got to make sure. Carpathia, <laughs> why do I think you've done this before? So it's like, you know, I'm like, all right. So the guy, because I didn't trust myself. I, I popped the hood up and I had the car open the hood up outside in front of the store in the strip mall parking lot. I was like, dude, you got to come out here and show me where to hook this thing up. Cause I was convinced, you know, there's, there's differential pressures, the input and the output. And I was convinced, you know, he kept saying, be sure you put it on the input side, not the output side. Cause like I had visions of me being on the 11 o'clock news, you know, the thing blowing up and blah, blah, blah. And so the guy comes out, he shows me how to hook it up and you know, forty nine ninety five. 95, I still got half the can left. We're good to go. So, Jeff, if you need if you need any help with the air conditioning system, just give me a call. I can walk you through it. Nice. That's
1: uh. So you know what you know what the one anomaly, maybe it's maybe it's the the anti canary in the coal mine. You know it's ranked the top group in consumer durable and apparel. What's that? It's it's unbelievable. Home builders are number seven.
0: Could that be because it was so bad? I mean, it got destroyed before anything else did, and now it's starting to like recover from that. Like, why is that? I don't know. I mean, I just saw that. I was like, wow, interesting. Is- All right, well, Cantro's in the hole. He, he's on deck. We're gonna do. We're gonna okay. do Rich. All right, we're gonna do. We're gonna do. Where we go? We're gonna do Bowtie and then Cantro. So Bowtie up, Cantro on deck, and then Gino in the hole. Bowtie, you're up. What's up? Bowtie. Hey George, thanks
8: for having me back hey. on. Hey. Go for uh, it. So this is a bit of a layered question. So just uh, give me a minute to get it all out here. So as we all know, the DXY is strengthening, like compared to uh, relative to global, to global currencies, the American dollar is the strongest it's been in you know twenty odd years, right? So traditionally, this is really good for importers, but at a time when we're already dealing with the beginnings of the bull with effect, like a lot of these retailers have already overcharged. You're seeing Target, you're seeing Walmart start to do cash list, for, sorry, itemless returns. Like they'll just bring the item back to the store. They'll give you the money and you know you can keep the item as well do you see this dollar strength adding to the recession on the retail front because we already have an influx of cheap goods and these imports are going to just keep getting cheaper like any thoughts on i guess how that would affect the retail sector as a whole
0: well the strong dollar all things being equal is always is always a is a positive for retail because what you're rightly pointing out i mean uh improves purchasing power imported goods become cheaper um we have right now a big inventory problem with retailers. You were giving a good anecdotal um, uh, example of you've got what's known as the bullwhip effect where it's not only is in demand cooling off, but inventories, which previously had been very low and now very high. And a lot of uh, distributors and wholesalers and retailers find themselves as excess inventory. So I don't know. I, I think a combination of excess inventory along with the fact that consumer incomes are now being squeezed, um, it, it's, it just still leads me back to the idea I don't want to be in consumer discretionary stocks. I mean, so, you know, the strong dollar in the overall scheme of things, to me, yeah, it's all things being equal, which they never are as a positive. But I think it's small beer compared to the bigger constellation of, of variables that I just alluded to. I, I, I hope that answers your question. 100%.
8: Sorry, do you mind if I just add one more? Yeah, yeah go for it. Yep, go for it. Yep. 100%. One thing, because our retailers just going to be giving away items at this point? Because it's going to be good for the American consumer, no doubt. But like, if they're trying to go for a FIFO method, would they try to get rid of their costly inventory now in the hopes that with the strong dollar, they can import cheaper ones going forward? So then they can... Well, know, I, I mean, be in having,
0: having been a retail analyst myself once upon a time, um, I don't think the strong dollar really figures into the discounting decision of the retailers. They're just... You've know, we seen all the tweets, and Cantro has all the data... You know, I forget the numbers. You know, Walmart and Target and this one and that one—it's like 44 billion, whatever. There's a chart of inventories x, x autos, and it's like through the freaking roof. And whether the dollar is a few percent higher, a few percent lower, it really is kind of irrelevant. I mean, they're over—they've got too much. they got too much stuff, and they're going to have to move the merchandise. So, yes, I, I appreciate your observation about the dollar. I just don't think it's really the main event in this discussion. And that gives a perfect segue to Cancho michael good to see you what maybe you want to pile on that or answer something else what's going on here, so.
9: hey george
0: uh, i just joined can, you can hear me okay we're good yep
9: okay great um i just joined so i just caught the tail end of um what jeff was talking about with bear market rally so um i just thought i'd join listen in and uh share my two cents if anyone has any questions or
0: yeah you yeah, yeah, um, just flush out a little bit more i mean I don't know, did I do a reasonable job of of, 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 of imitating you or do you got something, would you say it differently? On the consumer side? Yeah, no, no.
9: yeah, you know, it, you we're kind of seeing the typical, you know, over the last three months there's been a very big rotation in markets. Um, I just tweeted it showing factor performance. You know, a lot of people look at markets, a lot of people look at indices and you got to be careful when you look at indices because they're cap-weighted, they're sector-biased. And, and so you know, the S&P is, doesn't really ever tell you anything uh, or the consumer discretionary sector doesn't tell you everything, right? Amazon's a huge chunk of that. So, you know, the, the best information for kind of reading the message of the market, I think is looking at factor performance from a sector neutral perspective. Uh, and I just tweeted, I wonder if I could do this. I just learned, Three Aces taught me how to put up something in the tweet here. Let me see if I can do this in, in the hey, next.
0: Hey, 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 If hey, if you got, if you got... If you got
9: Tweets there. I can throw it up there if you want me to yep. do it. Like, right. okay. I just, I just did it. Look at that. Awesome. All right, go for it. it. Is it there? So, is, do you see it up there? No, it's it's not there. Which tweet is it, Cantor? I'll, I'll find it. Which tweet is the one you want me to put uh, up there? I just tweeted it six month, uh, six minutes ago. Uh, okay. All
0: right. You keep talking. I'll tweet it. Go on. All right.
9: So, in the last three months, we've seen a huge rotation. Uh, really, starting when commodities started to peak out, uh, and really across the board. You've just seen, you know, basically everything that got crushed from higher interest rates and, you know, growth stocks, whether they were high quality or low quality, got thrown out, um, baby with the bathwater during the first four months of the year. And now we've seen a a very big bounce. You know, some of the garbage has bounced as anytime a problem presumably starts to go away, you're going to get a junk rally. Uh, But it's really the quality stuff that is also bounced and I think is going to continue to outperform here. Um, And this just, I think, is a real clear way to see the rotation back, you know, away from inflation fears and towards recession fears. Everything that's gotten crushed is high beta, high volatility, Um, stocks that are correlated to 10-year yields, high leverage, high earnings variance. I mean, these are all things you want to stay the hell away from and factors that are really not going to benefit from peak inflation. That's why growth is outperforming. I think it's going to continue to um, at least until we really see a problem in the employment market. So, you know, I know a lot of people on these spaces tend to be very short-term focused. And, you know, I I am not day-to-day focused, week-to-week focused and definitely more uh, big picture. And so a lot of, you know, what you guys discuss, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, is kind of noise to me. And maybe that kind of helps me sleep better at night because I'm not always concerned about the latest tick or trying to figure out the latest tick. And, and and so big picture for me, everything continues to fall in line with our hope cycle, our hope framework, which, again, is housing, orders, profits, employment. You know, the bomb, in, the bomb out number in the NHB index should, I mean, it, that just tells you that employment claims in a year are going to be skyrocketing. Not, not that it's going to take a year to start, but uh, it takes about a year for changes in housing to really flow into employment. So we're seeing employment begin to weaken because housing peaked over a year and a half ago, if you look at the NHB index and that's going to only accelerate. So, so that to me was a really important read on the cycle. Uh, and basically the market's now digesting the fact that inflation fears are peaking. I think they're going to peak a lot slower or come down. Inflation is going to come down a lot slower than investors are going to hope for. And I don't think the feds going to stop hiking anytime soon. Maybe they taper it off, but ultimately, what I think was going to stop them is, is going to be employment. By the time we get to the fourth quarter, I think claims are going to be above 300 uh, and that's going to really wake up a lot of investors. Um, and so, yeah, we're in a, we're in the fourth market relief rally here, bear market rally since the beginning of this. If the markets are going to rally, man, it better, this is this, this is it. This is the time and place because we don't have uh, a deep recession yet. We're job people are getting laid off left and right. Um, parts of the economy are still okay. And the biggest problem, which is absolutely inflation, you know, is starting to stabilize. But uh, again, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of upside here because the Fed, you know, any upside, I think just gets the Fed more hawkish, number one. Number two, there's tremendous downside in economic activity and earnings and employment down the road that's only gonna continue to grind lower and lower and lower. And so, you know, for now, we, we've continued to recommend investors who are either long, short or long only favor areas of the market that have stable, profitable growth. So, George, you actually mentioned two of my favorite names. And <laughs> I know you don't want to talk about names, but Costco and AutoZone for us are kind of double. Um, they, they kind of check the boxes on two things. And Costco's at a new relative high to the market. And again, it's all in the context of relative performance as, as is AutoZone. They're both stocks that are stable, profitable companies. Um, and more importantly, they're very, they are very—they have a counter cyclical profile. And there's a tweet somewhere in my, in my feed that you can see Costco's relative performance is absurdly macro driven. I mean, it's almost like clockwork. You know, if, if, you're, if you were an analyst covering that stock and you're trying to figure out if it's going to beat the market or not, almost all you got to know is the ISM. And, you know, I don't I don't want to take away from the fundamental analysts, but, you know, some stocks have more macro influence than others. And that's that's one of them. So, you know, sure, it's expensive, but, and a big but, its fundamentals are stable. And ultimately, stability matters a hell of a lot more than valuation when you're heading into a downturn. Not when the economy's good and rates are skyrocketing, which was where we started the year, but where we are today, when the economy is now starting to slowly fall apart or rapidly fall apart, depending on which sector you're looking at and interest rates are, you know, at least at the long end and inflation is really starting to peak out and stabilize.
0: Cantro, <laughs> uh, Cantro can't thank you enough for that. I mean, <laughs> you've just been so on the money and I'm not paid to say this. And Cantro, by the way, I do want to, I do want to become a real client. Cause you know, we're starting up a fund soon, but for my money, I mean, Michael Cantrowitz, i only known him, oh God, six months, months, he's the best strategist on the street, period, period.
7: Absolutely. Can I ask Kantrow a question real quick? Go
0: for it, go for it.
7: How would you respond to the inflation being cyclical, or cyclical and secular in the context of everything you just said? Sure. Um, well, I think the
9: cyclical portion of it is going to eventually come down. Uh, though, again, slower than I think we're going to hope for, you know, core infl- headline inflation will come down faster than core inflation because of the composition of inflation, um, core inflations, uh, I, I like to call it the caboose of economic data. If you see on my hope framework, it's the last one. Um, and largely because owner equivalent rent or shelter um, is such a big part of it. And that's not really going to start to decline till a year from now. It lags so much. Uh, it lags home prices, lags the economy. And that's ultimately why core inflation is so uh, lagging. And obviously employment has to really weaken to get core inflation down as well. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, the secular story, we'll see. Um, you know, there's a lot of major global transitions taking place. You're getting companies to onshore the U.S. for the last decade, as China um, is no longer a place where people want to, Manufacture their goods. You know, if you buy it here, you make it here. Is kind of the quote. And I'd say actually one of the conclusions is that I think we're going to see central banks or policymakers try to keep their currency stronger for longer. You know, we went through a period from the global uh, from let's call it 2000 um, where the world was booming, and then it's then throughout uh, post the global financial crisis, especially post the global uh, great financial crisis, global financial crisis. Um, where we had deflation and slow growth. So everyone was racing to have the weakest currency because it was kind of free to have a weak currency. You didn't import much inflation and you exported more goods to your uh, neighbors. In this type of world, if we are indeed at a different point in inflation, it's secularly going to be a little stickier, higher, I think you're going to want to see countries that, uh, you're going to see policymakers that want to maintain a, a, a stronger currency. Um, you know, something the U.S. administration hasn't really talked about since they you know, probably the Clinton administration in the late 90s. And so because because that will help stave off some of the import inflation at a time where that's, I think, potentially a bigger problem than trying to export to your uh, to your uh, trading partners. So I think that's kind of one of the conclusions. So to me, you know, cyclical always trumps secular trends any day of the week. And so even if inflation is going to stay stickier for the next 10 years, there's still always going to be a cyclical component to it. Like even Japan, like if you look in the, you know, they, they had a lost decade, their stock market went straight down, but they still had a business cycle. And when the cycle improved, their stocks went up. And so there's always a business cycle. So you never want to be married to secular trends eternally because sometimes they'll go against you
1: depending on the cyclical backdrop.
2: Awesome, Cantro.
0: Absolutely hey, awesome.
1: George, George, I got a yeah. I got a question. I got a question for Michael. So this war is going to end at some point. And then we're going to get the biggest rebuild, i.e. a Marshall Plan that we've ever had since, you know, World War II, Driven by the U.S. I mean, the country has completely destroyed Ukraine. Um, that's going to spur a lot of economic activity. And should be a big positive for Europe, which has been stagnant. Have you thought about that at all in, in the mix of kind of moving weight well down the road? I mean, we'll start to see it in our work when, um, when that type of, of uh, companies, when those type of companies start to improve, uh, which are really struggling now. Capital good stuff is, is definitely a struggle in our work. Just Just curious if you've thought about this idea at all.
9: Um, not really yet. Uh, and again, we're more cycle focused than kind of longer term focused. but I agree with you. That's, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure uh, investment, hopefully ahead of us uh, everywhere. Um, not right now, of course, because of inflation or uh, in Europe because of the war. Uh, and I think, you know, when, when you get cyclical, cyclicality a recovery in Europe at some point next year, late in the year, maybe as late as 2024, um, early 2024, depending on, again, how things play out, you know, part of the story is always path dependent, but I don't see Europe turning around uh, like PMIs in Europe or really much in Europe turning around uh, anytime soon for the next 12, 18 months. But after that, when, you know, if, if that kind of lines up with some of the timing of when the, this war ends, if, if, and when it does, hopefully it does sooner than later. Um, yeah. That, that, that could create one hell of a, a booming initial expansion. Uh, you kind of, when you put those two things together, you know, we saw that in the uh, early nineties where the re, uh, European reunification boom that took place. Uh, and so part of, you know, you, that's why part of you know, Europe was outperforming us, uh, us markets for much of uh, the nineties, at least early nineties.
0: Sorry, go so, ahead, Jeff. Go ahead.
1: So so kind of a follow on to that is, so if, 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 if the fed has made mistakes, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call what the ECB has made. Oh, and, and, and so, and so do, you, uh, do you actually buy that there's a likelihood they're going to raise on Thursday by 50 basis points?
9: I mean, remember, this is a central bank that raised twice in 2008. I think it was twice. Uh, I think once or at least maybe twice in 2011. Different, you know, different, different heads of that central bank than today. Um, so, geez, maybe third time's a charm. They've been they've been known to they've been known to raise rates, um, <laughs> uh, when, when they when they should probably be cutting rates. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, I think you know they're they're move, they're they're gonna they're certainly not gonna be easing anytime soon. But you oh, know, boy. Europe only only has one mandate. You know, most central banks don't have a dual mandate like the Fed. Europe European central bank's mandate is really only price stability.
0: Okay, yeah, so. that's terrific, Cantor. Great, thanks for the question, Joe. Let's move along here. I want to go to. Uh let's see rich did did you ask i'm losing my mind here rich
2: did think you ask your question i
0: think, it, think it's gino george G- yeah G- gino you're up and then we'll go to three aces gino unmute uh, yourself please
6: gino hey can everyone hear me yep we got you all right uh thank you george for having me on and for hosting these spaces my questions uh, geared towards jeff so i'm an independent retail trader and i do a lot of work just looking at commitment of trader reports Through the lens of these reports, I'm noticing that this market has become a real battleground between commercial traders and large speculators. Uh, Right now, from what I'm seeing, at least, the data is setting up very similarly to mid-March before we rallied about 500 points. This time around, it's the vast amount of large speculators piling into shorts while commercial traders take the other side of their bets. Um, To put their positioning into perspective, Large speculators haven't been this net short since April of 2020, and commercials haven't been this net long since December of 2011. Uh, my interpretation has basically been that commercials are looking to trap large speculators in choppy price action and or a short squeeze until they capitulate out of their shorts. Only then do I feel we will see the next leg down. Um, with that, I raised my question. Do these reports only weight in your research? And if so, what are you taking away from them? Thank you.
1: Yeah. So first of all, first of all, we don't we don't chart and we don't plot. And we don't look at commitment of traders. Um we look at, you know, short interest to let us see where people are making bets for or against stocks, and we do the same thing with put activity. I would say a huge difference between now and March is that um when the rally started in March on the fourteenth, there was excessive put activity. That doesn't exist now. And and I think you're kind of inferring, tell me if I'm wrong on this. Are you inferring that the small trader is gonna trap the big trader?
0: No, what he's saying, no, what he, no, what he's saying, Jeff, is because I know the data he's looking at comes from like sentiment trader and he just looks at like large speculators and commercials and whatever, and it's a dumb money, smart money thing, which I think you've seen before. And the dumb money, which is a little guy, and, and I just want to make sure, I'm pretty sure I'm accurately portraying what he's saying. The little guy, the dumb money is the wrong way right now. He's really short. With the smart money, the commercial guys are long. That's what he's getting at. Oh, is it, okay. So that's what he's getting at? Yep. Um, so, so, you know, sentiment trader, has, they do it differently. They, one of the studies they look at, they look at, you know, dumb money versus smart money. They define the commercials as the smart money and the little guy as the dumb money, and they always try to measure how long or short smart money is and dumb money is. And when that spread gets really big one way or the other, it's he backtests. It's got pretty good predictive power. So what he was referencing was in March, where he had the little guys all reacting to the headlines and getting all freaked out, and you know wanting to jump off the off the window ledge, and the commercial guys are getting long. And now we got the same thing again. So that's what he's talking about, the potential for a big squeeze right here. Yeah, you know what's funny? We would uh, we would disagree
1: with that. And we have a thing we use called the Erlanger Commitment of Short Sellers. So we track how um, short sellers are doing right now. And the vast majority of them are dumb. They're just getting lucky. I call it dumb luck, ha-ha. But um, we have, let's see, we have 17 of the sectors being driven by dumb short selling. So that would... <laughs> actually yeah, 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 it's, making, it's making it's making the same mark it's making the same argument which is for a higher
0: market which is what committed tri- but it's doing it from a different perspective no we, we, which is really interesting because two different methodologies coming to the same place yeah yeah so we would argue for a higher market so right I mean, we, what's, we, what's
1: amazing we, what's amazing
0: what's amazing is
1: short sellers have made so much money and historically they've done it in stocks that they traditionally just basically get their ass kicked, and the only sectors that, they're, that they that are short right now that they historically have been have made money are software, diversified financials, materials, utilities, telecom, food staples, retailing, and re- the best is retailers. By the way, short sellers are the best in retailers. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that because probably what it shows is that um, inventories are probably one of the best fundamental uh tools that you can use to make money on the short side yeah so
0: sounds like you're you're agreeing with validating what gino was asking i am i am yeah. but just from a different way yeah which is really interesting uh i find that incredibly interesting which again would just screw everybody up you know walter Deemer, please call your office the market's going to do with you know the best accounts i to find as many people as possible and again for those who are interested we have a real treat in store Walter's going to be speaking in our space at 11 a.m. on Thursday. You know, he's retired now, Was uh, worked with uh, Bob Farrell, was a putter for a million years. Um, you know, he's in his late 70s, early 80s, and it's just a real pleasure to be able to pick his brains, get wisdom from him. So wouldn't that be special? You know, all the fundamental wise guys like me are saying, the mark's got to go to zero. Won't do it right here, right now. Squeeze everybody. And Cantor, I think you know this, I don't try to follow the wiggles and jiggles either. I'm interested in the inter- intermediate to longer term, but for everyone who wants to like get picks and, you know, what's going to do this day, this, I, I, to me, just a fool's It's a waste of time. So summertime, volumes are like anything can happen. And again, Cantra, you spoke about it. We referenced it earlier with John Roque, counter-trend rallies, anything's possible. You know, ultimately though, you know, you tell me what the fundamentals are going to do. I'll tell you what the mark's going to do, and, and that's why we love you, can'tro because you're so good on the fundamentals. With that, let's go to Three Aces. Aces, my friend. What's up? Right? Did you are are you rested hey. up after? Are you rested <laughs> up after after last night's epic battle? Oh man, yeah,
10: it's getting a bunch of views. It's uh, pinned up on my uh, home tweet there. So if anybody wants to listen to it, George, let me know if you want me to take that down at any time. I can just delete it.
0: Yeah, we, um, we we we're, we're going to talk about that later. You and I got to have words. Okay. Go go ahead, Aces. Go for
10: yeah, it. Yeah, I, I wanted to apologize. I'm coming in late. I got stuck in uh in, in an unexpected. Uh, I had to go to immigration and, and deal with a little paperwork, so I got stuck in the office there. So I apologize. I came in late. I can't Hi, Cantro. Hi, Garbaz. Um, hey. Hey, hey, Garbaz. Um. So, Mike, I'm just curious. <clears throat> gotten some ugly data here out of this NHB and so on and so forth today. Um, does this restart the clock for us on hope? Do we go all, is it like, you know, go go back to go kind of thing and start over? Or do we still stay the course on P? Um, and and just for a, uh, just an administrative question, in the context of housing that you, you refer to, you're simply talking about manufacturing. You're not talking about, you know, home prices and case shiller and stuff. Is that
9: correct? Yeah, it's it's the leading indicators of housing, or, or across the hope cycle, it's only the leading indicators we care about. So, manage fees and building permits kind of leading indicators of housing, PMIs for orders, profits are, you know, basically profit estimates. So that's, a, that is, that's, that's, that's what they are. And then employment is claims. So it doesn't restart the clock, it, it think about it like this, it if if you're leading <laughs> if i'm drunk and i'm still drinking beer man am i, am I gonna feel like shit in, in three hours or if i'm if i'm stuffed and i'm still eating i'm gonna have a nasty stomach ache and so it, you know these things take time to work their way through the system so when when you start to see the housing data get better you know you're basically at at the beginning of the recovery and so all that means to me is that it gives me more Comfort or confidence that PMIs are going to keep going down, profits have a long way to go lower, and employment's going to get nasty next year. Uh, and so that's that's kind of way I think about it. It's not uh, you know, housing's going to get housing's going to be the worst part of the economy. It probably is today. Manufacturing right behind, and profits will follow.
0: Hey, can I don't know, if not, but. um one of the most amazing spaces we had, uh, Ivy Zellman was in last week, and um, she blew us out of the water. Um, and I, for those who care, there's a, uh, not only is it in my feed, but in, in, in YouTube, but also she was separately, appeared on CNBC, I think yesterday. And what really struck me, I don't know if how much you're up on this, on Cantor, as, as good as you are and whatever, but I don't know how much you get in the weeds on housing in particular, but one thing that really shocked me um, and and she, she's you know the preeminent housing analyst for good reason. She made the point that non and Jackson's in the house as you saw on stage. Jackson, get back up here. Um, the the non primary non primary demand for housing is accounting for twenty four percent of transactions specifically that's you know Blackstone's buying 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 housing houses, the uh, uh, bill to rent, Airbnb, et cetera, et cetera. And the importance of that is you get, it's 24%. We've never had that before. Yeah, you know, cycles rhyme. They don't repeat themselves, so we don't have the mortgage-backed securities fiasco. But this, this secondary supply, when this is acted as an accelerant on the way up, it will act as, as an accelerant on the way down. And you lie that with the fact that she was um, pointing to the fact that so much of the data now is available on the net. Uh, you know, Redfin, Zillow, all this sort of stuff so economic actors can act more uh, quickly so that in specific markets, and she was citing chapter and verse from one market after another be it Florida, Phoenix, whatever the cancellation rates are absolutely skyrocketing um, it went from like 15% to 35% I think she didn't last at some places 55% anyway, the point of all that was is pouring gasoline on your fire I think you might even be more right than you know quicker than you know and that is, I was shocked by when she started to put the pieces together. I never heard this before. That 24% of the transactions are are, are secondary, and that you 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 marry that with the fact that there's so much online data available now, the potential for this thing to unravel really, really quickly just set me back on my back heels. I don't know if you heard that argument before. Or if you have any reactions to it. You know, I've been meeting to listen to that space. I haven't yet, but I have it on
9: my to-do list. Uh, I've never actually met met her, but you know, I always hear good things. Um, but yeah, total. I, you know, I, I've I've heard the uh, the data, the stats on um, uh, the nine primary buyers, and in a you know in a way, this is a bubble, just a different bubble than we had in two thousand. Well, really, nineteen ninety five to two thousand five, two thousand six. That was a lack of you know, credit standards. There were no credit standards back then, and this was more just about. Stupidly low interest rates, especially in the last few years. Um, yeah, so it wasn't about credit; it was just just liquidity bubble. Whereas you know it was a credit let's call it a credit standards bubble uh, twenty years ago.
0: So 100%. yeah, uh, right off. I, but, yeah, I, I, do I look forward I, to listening to that, especially because you've been really a thought leader on your approach, and you've been you've been in the vanguard. You've been right, and housing has been a central to your view. I really urge you to go listen to that because she is. I mean. <laughs> I've known her for a long time, but man, oh man, what a tour de force that was. And, and it's just, it's a must, it's a must listen. It's a must listen. Um, Aces, do you have another question, Aces? No. I mean, I think no, I'm good.
11: We're good. I, um, we're good. Unfortunately, we're good. We're good. I get to talk to you and Mike every day. So I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. <laughs>
0: um, anyone else want to speak? We've been going on two hours. Uh, we had a, we did a four and a half, and just one, you know, it's sort of like, Post-mortem, post-game show, Aces, um, for those of you who weren't in the room, um, we did a space last night. Usually I usually don't do spaces at night, but I got particularly uh, triggered by um, some of the misrepresentations that were being uh, m- made. Uh, there's a lot of mistruths, half truths and at-not-lies that are, that are thrown around on Twitter. And the problem is there's no regulations. Um, there are no standards. People just throw stuff against the wall. And, you know, uh, I can't remember where the line came from. You know, and <laughs> a bear market capital's returned to its rightful owner. So now all the charlatans are being exposed. And I got really upset because yesterday one of them doubled down on his lies. And so we had a room last night. I'll try to keep it more general as opposed to specific on just the lack of uh, honesty, integrity uh, in markets. And how, you know, this has to stop and the regulators aren't keeping up with it and how really it falls on people, each of us, to speak up when they see something. I know I've adopted this persona, and I'm fully aware of what I'm doing, of trying to call out bad actors um, when I see it. Because, you know, it's not a game. This is not a game. It's heartbreaking when you read the stories about some individuals losing money in this or that. And yes, I'm not I'm not absolving them of any personal responsibility. They have agency in their in their in their actions. There's no question about that. But the fact of the matter is, some of these people just should not be saying what they're saying. And it's just bold faced lying. And it's got to stop. And so this space with aces last night and aces. How we started at eight. I gave up after like four like four hours. How late did you go?
11: Uh, it went until about
0: 1230. I, I spent the balance of the hour
11: just dealing with, you know, the, the rows 100 to 600 on, on, the, on the speaker, on the listeners there. So I think, I think the takeaway is, for, first of all, if you don't mind, George, just to give folks a little bit of a recap, um, nobody came to the defense of Ralph Powell. They didn't come to his defense on a ethical level, from a you know a, you know sort of a professional responsibility in the words and language that he uses. They didn't come to his defense that he has the first clue as to what he's talking about with regards to the technology. Uh, you know the whole the whole sort of you know there, by the way there was almost twelve hundred people on there last night, so the whole thing is centered around George's you know, you know, mission about you know being true, you know, and being honest. And and Raul Powell has made many comments, but the one that comes to the to light the most is he said that Luna was basically risk-free. So I went around the room and I'll do it here again. I'll do it here again. Mike Cantro, Jeff Garbaz, K Fob, you guys are all in industry. Have you ever in your life, use the term in an investment to a client or a friend or anybody and said this investment is basically risk-free, right? So, so of course, they're going to say no, right, besides for, you know, treasuries. So, so, now, here was the most interesting thing from my perspective, okay? Now, I don't want to trash this guy, Ash Bennington, because he was texting me all night and He's sick, and you know, and I, you know, I for somehow I get the feeling that he's he he you know he's leaning in our direction, but just necessarily can't. You know, I don't know if he's an owner or not in there. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> but I thought the most telling thing was when we said to Ash Bennington because he came up, who's the guy who did the interview with Real Vision, and we said, "Have you ever used those words?" He said, "No." So, so the, the question is not the words that he used, which is the focus of the ethics and so on. The question is, why did he say that? Right? So then we got into the fact that one of the board members of Luna is one of the founders of Real Vision. And there goes the rabbit hole and
0: so on and so forth. So that's
11: just a mini little, uh, you know. Yeah. Hey,
2: hey,
0: hey, 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 let me just embellish what you said. Ash is a good guy. And the fact that I'm willing to benefit that is a good guy. In fact, that he came in the room to listen and then he even came up on stage. But he chose not just to, to really talk much. And let's take what he said at face value that he wasn't feeling well. Um, but, you know, think about it. If your boss and he works for a row, let's just make this clear. If your boss was being unfairly maligned, even if you are on your deathbed, you put you, you put up a few words. So the fact that he said nothing, he said absolutely nothing, was extremely revealing to me. And also, I have to say, and I posted one or two of them last night, the profane-laced personal attacks that I received as a result of this tell me everything I need to know. It's like when you're hitting that type of a runner with people, where all they can come with is four-letter words, you know you're on the right side of things. And so I don't want to I don't want to regale people with stories from last night, but it was just someone had to do it. And thank you, Aces, for sponsoring. Really appreciate it. Yeah, all right, yeah, boys George, and girls. I just think,
11: I, I, George, George, I did. I think yeah. it's very clear. We had him up on stage, and he avoided the question. I mean, that's indisputable.
0: Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent, Aces, hundred percent. All right, listen, listen, guys, listen, guys. Two hours and fifteen minutes. We're done. Uh, next, uh, this coming Thursday, Walter Deemer, 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, this has been a great room. Jeff, I want to thank you. And again, for anyone who is interested, Jeff is a wealth of information, the leading source in the country on short selling as well as has a terrific uh, market uh, service. Uh, please contact Jeff at uh, Quantitative Partners. You can find him He's here, here Here, he's on Twitter. Again, Jeff, I want to thank you. It's been most informative, and I hope we'll come back again before too long do it again.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me. It was definitely a good one. Good one. Hey, thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.